Hey there, theater lovers. It's me, Bryn. I'm so happy to be back after a month or so long holiday break. I feel rejuvenated and excited to once again talk about all things theater with you guys. This is the first episode of season two, which is amazing because honestly, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through more than five episodes when I first started this. Thank you guys. It's because of you that I'm still making this. Anyways, <laughs> this season will follow the same format as last season. We'll have guests every other episode, and we'll be covering all sorts of different plays. This season, I hope to have a few more playwrights on the podcast, so be on the lookout for that. I'm excited to say we'll have a repeat guest next week, and Karina Backen from the very first episode of this podcast. Our episode on Revolt, She Said Revolt Again, is still one of the most popular ones, according to Anchor. So I figured I'd bring her back to talk about another play she's done dramaturgy for, since you guys love her so much. <laughs> I'll let you in on what play that is at the end of this episode. This week's episode comes as a request from you guys. It's a Q&A episode. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions through Instagram or Reddit. Me and a few past guests will be answering them. We have questions from theater lovers of all kinds about everything from general theater topics to specific plays that we covered last season. I loved all you guys' questions, and I'm so excited to discuss them. So, without further ado, let's crack into it. All right. We're gonna start with a few questions that I got from Instagram. So first, we have a question from Danielle. Danielle asks, what exactly is dramaturgy? I thought the best person to answer this question would be someone I know really well who does dramaturgy as a huge part of their career and practice, Anne-Karina Backen. <laughs> Anne, how do you describe what dramaturgy is? So dramaturgy is literally the study of drama. In practice, that means your dramaturg's job is to know the play better than anyone else, even better than the playwright. I've also started calling myself a therapist for plays, and that sums it up pretty well since a lot of what I do is asking questions that I don't necessarily expect to get an answer for. Typically, a dramaturg will have a specific degree in the field, either a focus in dramaturgy at the bachelor's level or they'll go on to get a master's or a doctorate in dramaturgy, but some people never get a degree at all and build up their careers through their professional relationships instead. A lot of dramaturgs will also end up specializing in one genre or another, or a few different genres. For example, a dramaturg who specializes in Shakespeare will be an expert in Elizabethan history, iambic pentameter and its variations, and will likely help the director make cuts to the original text that align with and strengthen the director's concept. I personally specialize in plays in development and in second and third productions of new plays. So when I'm working on a play, I will most likely be in meetings with the playwright, receiving drafts and new pages and working as a sounding board for the playwright months and sometimes years before the play will even be submitted to a company for production. I ask the playwright questions about the new pages that will hopefully spark new ideas and help them solve problems or create better ones. 
When a show gets produced, dramaturgs will often create an actor packet, which synthesizes the information the dramaturg has gathered about the play for easy reading. What ultimately ends up getting passed to the actors in these packets is a tiny fraction of the dramaturg's research. So the dramaturg will usually attend some rehearsals and make themselves available for discussions with the actors and the production team to answer any questions that weren't addressed in the packet. Thanks so much for that answer, Anne. I hope that clears things up a bit for anyone else who had that question too. All right, our next question here is from Emily. Emily says, a personal question. Do you have any tips for not letting space and practicality limit your playwriting? Okay, this is a great question. I live in the New York City area and I'm an artist, so you can probably imagine that I don't have a lot of space for, well, anything. <laughs> I don't really have an office or even a desk. This can make it hard to get into a writing routine, especially if you also have something like ADHD, which uh, I do. <laughs> I'll be honest in saying that I don't really have a writing routine because of these two things, but I still wrote another whole full-length play in 2020. When you have limited space and executive function, I find the best thing to do is to be really mindful of your mental energy and state. I do a lot of what I call pre-writing, which is using the time where I'm doing mindless tasks like cleaning, showering, or trying to fall asleep to just float through the world of my play in my mind. Sometimes I listen to a playlist that I made specifically for that project and use that to direct my thinking. Then once I notice that my brain is in a good writing space, which God knows whenever that happens, it can happen anytime randomly. Well, whenever it happens, I already know generally what I want to write about and why. Obviously, this won't work for everyone, but it's been working out really well for me in the past year or so. I wanted to see what some other people thought about this, so I sent this question over to Karen Lowimovia, our guest from the Europa episode as well. Karen, how do you cope with a lack of space in your playwriting practice? It... So I'm the type of person who always like to write in different spaces. I think sometimes when I get stuck, the best thing to do is move. I would really like to go to coffee shops. And I used to tend to find like my favorite coffee shops and like that be... I would stay for like one to two hours and then I guess I'd come home and I felt like a whole different new space. One of the things I do now, since I don't really have much of, much of a choice of where to go, and instead I'm kind of <laughs> stuck between is it the couch, the bed, a seat at the table we also ate in, um, has been music, like really changing up the music I listen to, maybe changing the drinks. I have... <laughs> like this best coffee shop sounds, which is like the sound of a coffee shop. So kind of creating like different environments is how I've dealt with not really having a space of my own. Or for me, it's not really about a space of my own, but more of like the ability to change the space and the scene. Because I think that's been my major struggle as opposed to a specific space to write because I don't need a specific space to write, but more of a change of environment and pace. I think that's what I do. Thank you so much for your question, Emily, and thank you, Karen, for your awesome answer. 
I think that was a really good question, actually. I don't think we think about that a lot when we think about playwriting. Okay, the next question here is from Jill. Jill asks, of all the plays you have covered, which has done the best job of making the minority slash LGBTQA plus slash disability issues understandable to those outside those respective communities? Ooh, okay, wow, this is a hard one. <laughs> I have genuinely loved all of the plays we've covered so far for numerous reasons, and I think every single one of them has something important to say. But specifically for illuminating issues for people outside of a community, I'm torn between Desdemona's Child and Ripe Frenzy. But I think I'll have to give Desdemona's Child as my final answer. Karadadsvich does an amazing job of using Shakespeare and metaphor to describe how Black communities in America have been harmed by the police and the government. As a white person who was already aware of and participating in activism around this issue, I found and illuminated these specific emotional states that Black communities go through both as individuals and together that I'll never fully understand as a person outside that community, but it made me more aware of them. Also, Cynthia Cunningham is an awesome theater maker, and my interview with her was both fun and also deeply emotional. I always love talking to her, and I think our conversation on this play was a good and necessary one that we should all be having in our theater communities. Thank you so much for your question, Jill. All right, and now a word from our sponsor before we get into the second half of our questions. All right. Let's get into a few more of these questions. Here's another one from Instagram. All right, so Tom asks, how important are stage directions or playwrights notes in the script to the production of the play? This is a great question. So stage directions aren't usually heard by the audience, so they can be a bit mysterious if you haven't studied theater or been in a show before. So stage directions are very important for the creative team of the play. They tell the designers and the directors about the look of the show and the atmosphere. And they also give um, important information to the actors as well about backstory or about um, certain uh, aspects of the scene. Really, stage directions can uh, give a lot of information uh, that you wouldn't necessarily think um, would be involved in stage directions. It really depends on the playwright uh, and what they like to put in their stage directions. Sometimes they're very specific, but sometimes the stage directions are more of an inspiration. Either way, they provide a roadmap for the people taking the show from page to stage. Now, playwright's notes are different. Uh, in my experience, they tend to be treated as law. They're a direct message from the playwright to the creative team. And they usually specify certain things that cannot be interpreted in another way. For instance, the playwright may want to specify that a certain character should be played by an actor of color or an actor with a certain disability in order to make sure aspects of their work aren't taken out of the context they were meant to be in. Not every playwright writes playwright's notes but when they are present, they are important to pay attention to. Some creative teams will take a few liberties with these if the playwright is dead, but mm, most of the time I see them being uh, treated very seriously. All right, thank you so much for your question, Tom. All right, 
Now we're going to head on over to Reddit and see what kinds of questions are making the rounds in the r slash theater and r slash playwriting communities. So here's a question from someone, username Black Pawn, I believe that's how you say that, Black P-W-N, asks, what are some essential plays you would recommend to someone new to playwriting, preferably ones with no romance involved? So when anyone asks me this kind of question, I tend to shy away from the very stereotypical usual answers of Shakespeare, Arthur Miller, Eugene O'Neill, Samuel Beckett, Sam Shepard, etc. While they are all great playwrights in their own right, and you should probably read at least one play by each of them, everyone and their mother is going to tell you to read them. And if you're studying theater in college or high school or postgraduate school, you you've you've had to read these already for theater literature courses or etc 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 and on top of it all these these are all white dudes so i like to recommend a few resources where you can find great plays with or without romance that can help you to learn the format of playwriting and all the things you can do with it that were written by women people of color queer people etc first i like to suggest the kilroy's list this list comes out every year, and it's a comprehensive list of plays by women, trans, and non-binary people, regardless of race or ability, that were some of the best of that year. If you like the sound of the short blurb of the play that the list provides, you can either find it on New Play Exchange or see if it's been published for purchase. If a play is on this list, then it's probably going to teach you something about playwriting. I also suggest looking at the list of Pulitzer Prize in Drama winners and finalists. The winners and finalists from the past few years have mostly been women and people of color, like Jackie Sibbles Drury, Claire Barron, Martina Majok, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, and Lynn Nottage. But regardless of that, anyone who has won or been nominated for a Pulitzer in Drama is someone whose plays are probably worth reading and learning from. These plays you'll most likely be able to find for purchase or at your local library. Support libraries. That's my little PSA for the, uh, for the week. <laughs> All right, here's our last question. Username Shoegazer asks, what are some common pitfalls of student productions? All right, this is, this is a hard and complicated question, so I'm going to give my number one piece of advice. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. <laughs> I usually work with high schoolers, so that's where most of what I'm about to say comes from. In my experience, students can sometimes get ahead of themselves and end up talking a lot about what they could do instead of just going and figuring out how to actually make the idea happen. My advice would be that once you get a cool idea that you're all excited about, get it on its feet or go see the person in charge of finances or ordering or whatever and see if getting what you need is possible first. Less talking, more doing is my main advice for student productions. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. I had a lot of fun doing this. If you guys want another episode like this in the future, make sure to let me know. You can email the podcast at playmatespodcast at gmail.com 
or you can DM me through the podcast Instagram, which is at Playmates Podcast. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope this was a fun and different episode for you guys, too. If you can pop on over to iTunes and give the podcast five stars and a good review, that would be amazing. I appreciate every single one of you. I can't wait to see you all next week, where we'll be discussing Men on Boats by Jacqueline Backhaus with recurring guest Anne Karina Backen. Have a safe and fulfilling week, everyone. Bye for now. <laughs>